Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven talk radio that promotes happiness from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights trendsetters and change agents who offer sound emotional fitness tips for improving mental muscle tone and greater well-being. Guest experts include a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who are devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and positive lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. Alrighty then, let's get to it. Today we're talking about conscious sexuality, and my guest is Dr. Saida Desilet, who wants to live in a world filled with audacious, sexually sovereign women living life on their own terms. As a thought leader and body philosopher, she has published several books entitled The Emergence of the Sensual Woman, The Illustrious Jade Egg, and her innovative method featured in Dr. Christiane Northup's best-selling books, Women's Wisdoms, Women's Bodies, and The Secret Pleasures of Menopause, as well as in Dr. Rachel Adams' books, Multi-Orgasmic Woman and Body Wise. After two decades of embodied professional practice, Saida is renowned for being the founder of the modern Jade Egg Movement and a visionary spokesperson for sexual sovereignty. Welcome, Dr. Saida Desilet. Lisa, it's such a pleasure to be here with you. It is. It is. I, I, I love doing shows that focus on sexuality and relationships because m- many of us are really hungry, hungry for ways to connect more closely and more satisfyingly with our partners. Talk about your life and how it has impacted the work that you do. Mm. Yeah, I want to start with my early, early life because it actually formed uh, an orientation. So I was very young. Imagine being French Canadian and then my parents moving out west to the middle of Canada to live on First Nations reservations. And there I was a, an alien to them. You know, I was the only white kid, uh, spoke French. They, they didn't speak um, English. So it was a very interesting time. And what was most interesting was that it's a, a culture that's, you know, upset a lot. So there's a lot of incest, there's a lot of uh, trauma and and problems. And so I was witness not to the incidents, but to the results of the incidents because our house became a shelter. Mm. 
Mm. So very early in my life, I mean, as young as five, six years old, I was exposed to women who were having a hard time in their relationships and I would actually counsel them. I remember saying, I don't think that that's love, you know, describing when I would hear their situations. So I was quite young. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And at the same time, I was actually sharing with the little girls that were my own age about a very special spot that I had discovered on my body that felt absolutely fabulous. And I thought they need to know about this. But of course, being in that culture um, where the sexuality wasn't a positive thing, we were caught and I was basically known, I think, as the devil's advocate and, and thrown out from a very angry person. And I remember thinking in my head, this person must not know this spot because she wouldn't be so angry if she did. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so you can see already, you know, at five years old that, that I had a very uh, impactful young life of being erotically innocent, of having this willingness and desire to share pleasure because I felt that everyone should feel good at the same time being exposed to a lot of tragedy and violence. And so that has formed who I am now and it has informed me most of my life and my deep passion and reverence for women and, and their bodies and their sensuality and for them to really know that they can have the relationships they want and live the lives that they desire. Wow, that is quite uh, a primer to to your life. Yeah. You know, trial by fire, really, right? You, exactly. you stepped into it at a very early age. What is the, in your view, what is the greatest challenge that we as women face now in today's climate? Yeah. You know, it's going to be a funny answer, but I actually believe that social mandates are our greatest challenge because we're we're like swimming in the social mandate soup, so we're not aware of it. And uh, so we actually don't know who we are in our own essence. We don't know what we really would love. When I ask women, I know what women don't want, trust me. <laughs> women are really good at telling me what they don't want and what they're sick of. But when I say, I get that, and what would you love? What do you mm. deeply desire? What makes your heart just like pitter-patter a little quicker? And for the most part, they're either shy about saying it, they don't know what it is, or they feel it's impossible, that it will never exist, so why bother even mentioning it? And uh, so I think that that's our greatest inhibition, because if we can't truly take a stand for what's viable in our own hearts, how are we going to then move forward with what we love? Yeah. And I get that what you're speaking of actually doesn't have to do with sex. Although it leads us there. Yeah. Well, here's what I believe. For me, sometimes I change the word sexuality to aliveness because I feel that when we say the word sex or sexuality, people think of the act of sex. But the truth is, is that we're very alive. And so we're, if anything, we're sexual beings. And, you know, I don't know about you, Lisa, but I haven't found a way to leave my genitals by the bedside when I go out into the world. Like my, they come with me everywhere. They're at the bank, you know, they're, they're in my meetings, they're, they're, they're on the flights with me. Like I just, there they are, you know, my sexuality is with me all the time. So we need to start to recognize that sexuality isn't just the act of sex and we are sexual beings, but yeah. what mean? It's actually quite liberating, but it's kind of confusing in a culture where sexuality has become 
something of a commodity or something to do on the to-do list or something that, you know, we must accomplish in order to be more of this or that. Well, it's interesting that you talk about that because um, I don't think one can separate one's sexuality when we're really talking about sexuality being passion and creative energy. Exactly. We can't. We can't. And, you know, what's interesting is because we've tried to segregate these things and because um, I just feel in some ways sexuality has been improperly hijacked, it has a bad rep in some ways. Like on one side, we yearn for it because we're sexual beings and it's a natural expression of who we are. But on another side, there's a lot of people who have had pain and trauma around it or a lot of disappointment or betrayal uh, or never had any satisfaction. They think, that, well, if this is it, I, I'd rather just not have it. Um, and so, so we're sort of a little bit... Um, I would say, deprived of the depth and breadth of sexuality, and yet it's right here and it's available right now. You speak on sexual sovereignty. Talk about a little bit more about what that means exactly. Yeah, it's, it's terminology that I came up with after two decades of working. It's fabulous, very, by the way. <laughs> very deep, thank you. Very deeply with women. And I was witnessing such powerful transformation and I was trying to figure it out because women were coming for all kinds of issues and anything from just wanting to have better sex to sexual health to recovering post-birth to going through menopause I mean you name it they were there for that but something deeper was happening and that's when I started to recognize wow every one of us is coming home to ourselves every one of us is claiming so deeply our own body our own sensuality our own sexuality so fully that we're becoming the authority of that part of our lives. And so sexual sovereignty implicitly means that you have full authority over your pleasure, your fertility, how you have sex with whom, when, how, and no one else, no government, institution, person, no one has the right to, to make those choices for you. They're solely your own birthright actually to make that choice. So that's what sexual sovereignty is. And I think right now in this particular climate, it's a very important idea to share so that, for example, with the Me Too movement, so that we're not just going into labeling, blaming and shaming and then ending the conversation. But now we can maybe inquire into, well, what sexual sovereignty, what else is there? And open yeah. the conversation into a creative space so that we actually can move our society forward in this subject. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because when we when we talk about Me Too, and I think it was extremely courageous for the women that did um, come out and, and 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 tweet and get involved and speak publicly, and and I'm not minimizing the value of that, but it like what you say, then what if you're not willing to step forward and beyond what has happened, um, then we stay stuck. Yes. And so part of my work is to help assist women to recognize that there, if there's been trauma of any kind, that one can <clears throat> come to a place where we've stabilized. Usually that's where we're labeled victim of something. And then we're kind of left, but we're half cooked. <laughs> so there's a whole thrival aspect of the healing journey where our greatest pain becomes our greatest point of power. Yes, I agree with that. With with not just sexual trauma, but any kind of challenging mm -hmm. experience that it Absolutely. is it is the catalyst can be the catalyst for great transformation and transcendence. 
Absolutely. Um, we're going to take a break. And I wanted to give your contact information and then we'll come back and we'll continue the conversation to learn more about Dr. Saida Desilet. Please visit www.saidadesilet.com on Twitter at Saida Desilet and on Facebook, Dr. Saida Desilet. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Wait, wait, wait. Before we take that break, I want to talk about creativity and how making things can make you a happier and healthier person. Today's sponsor, Craftsy, is the digital destination devoted entirely to makers. More than 13 million enthusiasts from artists to quilters and beyond make Craftsy their home for binge-worthy on-demand content and access to the world's top experts and curated supplies, all served up in a fun-loving creative community. This year, resolve to live a more creative life. Sign up for your seven-day free trial at Craftsy.com slash happiness. Once again, it's seven days of free Craftsy at Craftsy.com slash happiness. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. And that's a promise. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are we happy yet? Is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life, and at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we're talking about sexual sovereignty with Dr. Saida Desilet on how women claim theirs and men learn to honor it. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast because it's a unique perspective on sexuality, passion, creativity, and reclaiming power. Dr. Desilet, Saida, let's talk more about sexual sovereignty and and the methodology that you use in working with, with clients and now teaching other professionals. Um, yes, absolutely. So I actually named it after myself. I didn't know what else to call it. So it's called the Desilet method. 
And it's a psychosexual method. So let me explain what that means. Those are not my terminology. It exists in psychology. And the idea behind psychosexuality is that your, your feeling nature, your thoughts, your whole psyche, your being, like who you relate to as yourself other than your body, is intertwined so intimately with your body that there's no separation. Why I love this, and if you've uh, never read the work of Dr. Sarno, he, he's an incredible uh, author and pioneer in a lot of this work. And why I love it is that it gives a woman a chance to not only look at what's going on physically in her body, but what are the elements in her feeling nature and her thinking that actually are impacting what's going on in the body and vice versa. So what's beautiful about that is um, I've come up with the premise that, for example, your yoni never lies. That is, your genitals never lie. So if you have an imbalance, something that's happening there, or you have pain during sex or whatever's going on uh, with your genitals, there's a message that's being communicated very clearly. So I'll give you an example for myself. I had um, a random yeast infection that happened and it went on for a year and a half and I'm supposed to be teaching all this sexual vitality. So it's a bit embarrassing, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and I'm like, what is going on? And I was doing everything and I was looking at my anger and I'm like, I'm not angry with my partner. And, you know, I was just doing all these things that I knew. But the one thing that I was blindsided by was that a business relationship I had with another uh, a woman, uh, business partner, was not, um, let's say, to, for my highest good. Mm. And I was blindsided by that relationship. And the instant I took my power back and ended it, everything cleared. I healed completely. So there's, there's this incredible wisdom in our bodies. So the method that I developed is both a physical method. There's physical techniques that have been examined by osteopaths, gynecologists, and pelvic pain specialists. And they're in the, the wow state with these practices for what they can do for vitality and aliveness and sexual function. But they're combined also with your heart, with knowing yourself with having a deeper relationship and intimacy with yourself. And in that combination, I have found is the only way to create lasting transformation. We can have a little bit if we do talk therapy and we can have a little bit if we do solely a few physical practices. But when they're combined, there's something magical that happens. So that's what that method is. And it's available pretty much to everybody who's interested. Wow, I'm I'm intrigued. Are are you um, doing workshops for the programming uh, trainings of psychotherapists and and other practitioners? How, how yeah, is the work so, getting out there? Yeah, exactly. I have a public programs for women who want to just uh, teach themselves. I have seven different online courses. I do live events as well. But for professionals, I do have a year-long training. It's almost like doing a master's. It's intense. (laughs) There's a lot to be um, learned. And and then they get a lot of training where they're they're implementing the methodology within their current work method. So, for example, if a gynecologist is learning this, she can bring that into her medicine practice. If it's a naturopath, she can bring that into her naturopathic practice. If it's a psychologist, now suddenly she has a method that also handles the body. And it's, um, there's a lot of integrity. And uh, I'm really, really honored that the work is spreading both professionally and publicly right now. Talk a bit about the jade egg. Hmm. So jade egg, just to be clear, because it is a phenomenon, a lot of people know about it, but some still don't. 
it's a little egg-shaped piece of pure nephrite jade. And I only advocate nephrite jade at this point. So people might ask you all the different yoni eggs. I don't advocate any of them purely for hygienic purposes. We are doing the first ever medical study right now examining the microbiome of the vagina. So what that means is we want to look, because there's been a lot of controversy around this topic, we actually want to prove medically that the jade, nephrite jade, is viable and safe for women to use. We already know that through experience, but we want to show it through proven uh, medical research. Okay, I hate to be ignorant, and I'm probably going to sound completely like an ignoramus at this moment. <laughs> what does a jade egg do? I'm so, I'm sorry. No, I'm, you're, you're, you're not <laughs> ignorant. And I wanted you to um, ask that question. Uh, so it's a clarifying question. So the jade egg is worn inside the vagina. And so it has multiple impacts on a physical level. First, you're impacting the tissue itself. So what I have found with women who suffer from vaginal dryness, who suffer from vaginal thinning, for example, wearing the egg has um, helped thicken the vaginal lining, has helped create localized production of estrogen so they're more moist, which is amazing. A lot of women have recovered full sexual function um, purely using the egg that way. Then we're also looking at the glands that um, operate in that part of the body that can be restored and heightened. And we're looking at the muscular structure itself. So we're, we're, there's a teaching of dexterity, if you can believe this, Lisa, where your vagina, actually, the pelvic floor has multiple layers. It's not just your PC muscle that you work with kegeling. There's huh. other layers of the pelvic floor. These are often ignored to the detriment of the woman. If you just kegel, there's been some great... Um, research papers written about this, you can actually cause too much tension in your pelvis and it can actually then cause the opposite. You know, you're trying to get this pelvic health and you can actually cause sexual dysfunction, uh, issues with orgasm, and you can even increase prolapse uh, possibilities. So we have found now that pelvic tension affects young, young women, like young athletes in their wow. late teens, early 20s have ha are having stage three and four prolapses, which has been unheard of before. And it's actually tension related. So the method that I teach with the egg allows a woman not only to learn how to tone this area in a healthy way, but more importantly, how to soften and open because that's actually when orgasm happen. It's actually when the blood vessels work better and the nerves work better. So we're teaching a very uh, important dynamic relationship with the vagina that's amazing. And, and can I share a secret? Because it's so exciting. Please. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of sitting here <laughs> rolling my, my eyes going, oh, my word, yes, do tell the secret. <laughs> yeah, so... We have found, not myself, but other researchers have found something very important about a woman's pelvic nerve and a state that we call relaxed arousal. And so the pelvic nerve, we cannot access that unless we're stimulating the inside of the vagina, which is why the jade egg practice is so phenomenal, if it's done in a state of relaxed arousal. So what they found, the result of when those two conditions exist, the stimulation of pelvic nerve and relaxed arousal, is the centers of the brain of a woman that are for confidence, self-esteem, and creativity, 
get turned on, they get switched on. So in my research, that was sort of obvious, but I was really excited to see that more on a medical side. But so Lisa, we have a switch. We have a switch in our bodies where we can thrive, where every system can work optimally, where we can be our most lit up selves and bring our deepest gifts into the world or not. It's either on or it's off. And uh-huh. we get to switch that on or uh-huh. switch it I got it. it. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that I get amazing? It, it is amazing. It's amazing. And, 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 and I really was ignorant up until this moment about this jade egg, but I, I, I'm going to do some research. Now, the, the, I have another question, and it's a serious one. Is it the shape of the egg itself or the material of the jade that is healing or both or therapeutic? Yeah, so... So the shape is important in the sense if it's too big or too small, you, you can't do the actual practices correctly. So the, the shape is important f- for that. Um, and then the material for hygienic reasons. But the healing, what's really important for, that I've been stressing for years, the power of the healing is not in the egg. The power in the healing is in a woman taking time to invest in herself, in her sexuality in a conscious way. And when she does that, she builds those neural pathways and she shifts her whole orientation to her own pleasure and sexuality. And she births her empowered, confident, embodied sexual self. And that is very, very important to say at this point. Wow. I'm, uh, I'm impressed. I'm intrigued. And I'm going to investigate further. And I, I encourage our listeners, both male and female, to do the same because this is how we learn, right? And I think all of us would love to that. reap a more empowered, sensual, passionate, creative life and and sexual connection with partnership. Or on your own, I suppose, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what's beautiful about this practice is it's imp- vital if you're single. It's essential. And it's also vital if you're in a relationship because the way to keep the relationship sparked. I've been in, with the same man now and deeply in love and still incredible connection after nine years. But that's because we both have a solo cultivation practice. We keep ourselves juiced up in our own person and then we bring that mm. to each other. Very, very, very vital. Um, to learn more about Dr. Saida Desile, please visit dareyourdesire.com. On Twitter, you can connect with her at Saida Desilet and on Facebook, Dr. Saida Desilet. What a pleasure. I hope that you will come back and talk more because there's so much more to talk about and investigate and, and share. This is, this is nothing I feel like. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, great. I'd be happy to come back and we can jump into any conversation. And it's been such a delight, Lisa. Thank you. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Unwrap your present by signing up for Happiness Headlines, our monthly e-zine at harvestinghappiness.com. Stay tuned for more after the break. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one, and sometimes we all need support. We all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstance. Sure, things will inevitably happen in our lives that are out of our control. There is only ever one thing that is totally within our control, ourselves. When we have command of ourselves, 
we are better prepared to handle life and bounce back more quickly when challenges arise. Whether you see the glass as half empty or half full, the glass has the capacity to hold more. You have the capacity to be happier. The tool to harvesting your happiness is within your grasp. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life, and at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we're continuing the conversation, but now we're turning it a little bit from conscious sexuality to the heart of human happiness when happiness hits home, and that is with our relationships. And I am really excited to have our next guest on. Dr. James Powelski is a professor of practice and director of education in the Positive Psychology Center at the University of Pennsylvania, where he co-founded the world's first Master of Applied Positive Psychology program with Dr. Martin Seligman. The founding executive director of IPPA, which is the International Positive Psychology Association, he is leading um, research on the connections between the science of well-being and the arts and humanities. His wife, partner in crime, is Susie Pileggi-Powelski. She also has a Master's of Applied Positive Psychology degree from the University of Pennsylvania. She is a freelance writer and well-being consultant specializing in the science of happiness and its effects on health and relationships. Susie blogs for Psychology Today and writes the Science of Well-Being column for Live Happy, where she is also a contributing editor. And we're talking today about their new book, Happy Together, Using the Science of Positive Psychology to Build Love That Lasts. Welcome, you two. So happy to have you on the show, James and Susie. Thank you so much. We're excited to be here with you. Thank you, Lisa. It's really a delight to talk with you. Well, I want to celebrate something, not only the, the, um, the publish of your book, but also your anniversary. The book came out on your eighth anniversary, which I think is so cool, especially since it wasn't planned that way. <laughs> Definitely. When we found out um, our first uh, co-authored book was coming out on uh, another uh, uh, momentous occasion of our wedding anniversary, it just blew us away. And I said to my husband, see, we were meant to do this. <laughs> exactly. And let's talk about relationships. Let's go right to the heart of the matter. What do people often get wrong about relationships or expectations in relationships? I, I think they tend to focus on um, what's going wrong rather than what's going right. We all have, you know, small annoyances um, in our relationships maybe that bother us. But if we're focusing and dwelling on those things rather than finding all the great, wonderful things, um, to celebrate, um, then we're not going to be happy. And isn't that the cornerstone of positive psychology, right? It's focusing on what's right with life rather than the traditional psychological model where we fetch about what's wrong. Absolutely. So mainstream psychology focuses on what's wrong with people and how to correct it, which, of course, is important. 
positive psychology focuses on what's right with people and how to cultivate it, uh, which is also important, and we find a lot more fun. And when you talk about the relationship gym in the book, um, talk to us a little bit about what it means to be emotionally fit and in these healthy relationships. I think that's a great question. Well, we like to talk about um, the relationship gym because when we were, um, you know, thinking about this book and putting it together, we thought, how come, like, in other aspects of our life, like, let's say, physical health, uh, none of us expect um, just to buy a membership to a gym and maybe go once and think, I'm going to have a fitter, stronger, more flexible body overnight. I mean, that would be ridiculous, right? Like, you're out of shape, you buy your membership, and now suddenly I'm going to, you know, have vitality and fitness. No, what do you do? You go to the gym uh, several times a week. It's a lifetime habit. You practice routines. Um, you know, when you get bored, you got to have some novelty, and you work on things. So how come in relationships, um, you know, our mindset is more that we focus on finding that perfect person who's going to, you know, magically appear in our lives, and we're going to live happily ever after. So James and I were talking about it should be more of like a relationship, gym where, yes, you find someone, and then you work on building strength and flexibility, emotional flexibility, strengthening your relationship, and cultivating those healthy habits that are going to build more of um, the things and the positive qualities you want in your relationship. And where does one's own emotional fitness come into play here? In other words, I think what I'm trying to say is if you're not the kind of person that you want to date yourself, then you need to kind of get busy working to improve those areas that make you a better, more likable, enjoyable, fit partner. Absolutely, Lisa. So this book is a book for uh, and folks at any stage of the relational journey. Uh, and so it can, it's, it can be a great uh, workout guide for those who are in a relationship now. It can also be a great workout guide for those who um, are not in a relationship now, just like, again, going to the gym uh, can be fun to do with someone else. It, it also can be fun to do uh, if you're just trying to get fit, you know, on your own before you uh, connect with others. So oftentimes people, I mean, I used to think uh, in this way myself that, you know, I would be rescued by a relationship. And so at some point there would come along this perfect person, probably accompanied by lightning and um, uh, thunder perhaps, and it would be this perfect soulmate that would kind of absolutely magically transform everything about my life and and I would live happily ever after. And I think that's a very common myth that, you know, we read about in fairy tales and, 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 and in the media and so forth. And so the idea is, again, that this just happens. Um, yeah. Fortunately, I was also subject to other perspectives that I think are much more mature and much more realistic. And that is that relationships involve skills, just like any other human endeavor. And if we sit around passively waiting to be rescued in some way or for the perfect relationship to happen, then it's much less likely for us to take the initiative and to work on ourselves and to develop our own relationship skills, which will be crucial when that time comes when we may, may enter into a relationship. So it's, these skills uh, of relating to others are important for us to develop across the spectrum, across our life course, 
And in this book in particular, we're talking about uh, the application of those skills in the context of romantic relationships. But again, you can start doing that before you're in one or after you've been in one that didn't turn out so well. And this might help you learn how to develop skills to have more success next time. So he talked about building skills, and one way to do that, if you want specific things, uh, listeners, um, is finding out what your strengths are. So in positive psychology, researchers looked across cultures, time, and they found that there are 24 strengths that have been valued, and things like creativity, uh, love of learning, leadership, social intelligence, and we all have these strengths in unique configurations, you know, and based on our personalities and context, um, it's what makes us, you know, different from one another. And the wonderful thing is you can find out what your top strengths are. They refer to them as your signature strengths by taking a free test. It's called the VIA survey. And we have a link to that on our website, which is Build Happy Together. So once you take this test and you find out uh, what your top strengths are, then you can start practicing them and doing exercises, having conversations with your partner. And we like to suggest, for instance, um, practicing those strengths by going on a strength state. So if, for example, a top strength this. of yours is like zest um, and your partner's maybe love of learning, that's a personal example, uh, you could set up a date where uh, you're going to both use those strengths. So for us, we rented uh, segways and we did a historical tour of our city. And so at the end of the date, you know, my sense of adventure was satisfied and James's love of learning uh, interest was peaked. This is great. This is, a, this is a wonderful example. We're going to take a break in a minute and we'll continue the conversation. But before we go, I want to go back to your point about soulmates. Do the two of you believe in soulmates? So, yeah, I think we definitely, in our own ways, uh, subject to our own uh, influences, um, believed in soulmates growing up. It doesn't mean that we don't believe in romance anymore now that we've modified those views. And soulmates can mean a lot of different things. And so for some people, it just means a way of connecting deeply, and we're certainly not against deep connections. But I think sometimes the notion of a soulmate can be understood in this kind of a passive uh, way that, you know, I, ha I don't have any control over my life, and it's fated uh, to meet somebody who will then just magically appear in my life and magically transform things. And that we link up to fairy tales, where the happily yeah. ever after just kind of happens automatically, as opposed to real life, where it takes some work and effort. And, 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 I, and I also think that, you know, when you use the soulmate example, there may be many in our lives, right? We, we have different relationships at different points in our lives based on different needs. I think that's, that's great. And uh, right. I think you need to focus on, you know, choice and what is it that you're looking for. So James and I like to say um, in our book, I know we talk about, we refer to pop culture and we use movies as an example. So we think a better approach than soulmate um, is you compliment me rather than you complete me. You know, we're all aware of the famous line from Jerry Maguire, you complete me. But what about you compliment me? So here are my strengths, here are yours. And together we can help each other become better individually and through our collective strengths, we could create something and become something better than our individual parts. And you're right, Lisa, that we want to be careful about trying to 
um, limit our relational lives only to our spouse or our significant other. Uh, one of the one of the marks of a mature relationship is is having a wide breadth of friends and connections and so forth. So we want to have a full richness of deep connections across our relational spectrum. And so many of the so much of the research and so many of the exercises in this book can help with that as ways of complementing our relationship, our, our romantic relationship. Well, we're going to take that break, but right now you are most definitely both making my heart sing. To learn more about Happy Together, using the science of positive psychology to build love that lasts, co-authored by Dr. James Powelski and his lovely bride, Susie Pileggi Powelski, please visit buildhappytogether.com. On Twitter, you can connect with both of them at Happy Together BK and on Facebook, Build Happy Together. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. And that is most definitely a promise. Who says money can't buy happiness? Check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life and other fun, fashionable, and inspiring items at shophappy at harvestinghappiness.com. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because sharing is caring. It's also kind, free, legal, available 24-7. And we're talking about love and relationship today. My guests are Dr. James Powelski and his lovely bride and co-author, Susie Pileggi Powelski. And we're talking about their latest book together, entitled Happy Together, Using the Science of Positive Psychology to Build love that lasts. Let's talk about the ancients for a minute, guys. Let's go back to the beginning and talk about Aristotle, because you mention him quite a bit in the book. And what the heck does Aristotle have to do with relationships? (laughs) Well, Lisa, I'm a philosopher. So any place, any way I can sneak in a philosopher, I try to do that. But in this context, it's actually also related to the topic, believe it or not. So Aristotle wrote in the Nicomachean Ethics that um, human beings love three things. We love what is useful, we love what is pleasurable, and we love what is good. And he said there are relationships, kinds of friendships that correspond to that. So we all have friends 
that uh, we're friends with them because it's useful to have that friendship. So let's say partners getting together to found a company to make a lot of money. Uh, or we also have friends that we hang out with because it's just pleasurable to do so. We like to get together with them, maybe go out on the weekends and so on. And Aristotle says there's nothing wrong with those kinds of friendships. They're great and important. And he says there's a third kind of friendship that's even more important, and that's a friendship of virtue, where you're attracted to the other person because of the goodness you see in their character. And that can actually inspire you to want to become a better person as well. So that's the philosophy. And then Susie had a very interesting <laughs> tweak on this at our, on our honeymoon, which we were at exactly eight years ago right now. So eight years ago, lying on the lovely uh, beaches of St. Lucia on our honeymoon, my husband and I were talking about Aristotle, because isn't that what everybody does on their honeymoon? Absolutely. I think so. <laughs> so we were having this conversation, and I said to James, why did Aristotle have to limit this notion just to platonic uh, relationships? What if we took it up a notch and we applied um, his thinking to our relationship, to our marriage? So instead of just being lovers, we became Aristotelian lovers, seeing the goodness in one another and working together to help one another become better individually and better as a team. And what if we made that sort of you know, our goal for our marriage. I love it. Said, I, I love really love idea. it. <laughs> and, and with Aristotle, I mean, the, his philosophy really speaks to knowing oneself. I mean, isn't that probably the most famous quote, know thyself? Yes, that was a, a quote actually that um, was in, um, that was that was well known at that time, and so the Oracle at Delphi, for example, was written uh, there. Know thyself was an important directive of the Greek world, and Aristotle certainly builds on that and helps us to know ourselves. Oftentimes, the perspective again in relationships and, and just in life in general is we tend to find it easier to know our deficiencies, our problems, um, and you know, and what positive psychology encourages us to do although it's important to certainly to know where we need to, you know, shore up our weaknesses. But it's just as important to know ourselves from the perspective of our strengths. What do we do well? What are our passions? And with regard to a relationship, not to lose sight of, you know, at the beginning of a relationship, it's, obvious, it's often very easy to know uh, what is good in the other person and what is good in the relationship. And as we move forward in the relationship, it's important to uh, – be intentional about observing the good in the other person and continuing to help it grow and continuing to help it grow in our own lives. You know, if we're looking for the perfect relationship, there actually isn't any such thing as a perfect relationship. The word perfect actually comes from two Latin words that mean thoroughly done. So maybe if one, rela if one partner or the other is, is done with a the relationship, then, you know, it's perfect in the sense of being over. But, um, but as long as both people are involved in the relationship, it gives us an opportunity to grow and learn and practice our strengths. And I think it's interesting because in the beginning of the relationship, you think of the first couple dates and the honeymoon phase, you're very curious about your partner, right? And, you're, and their strengths are coming out and you're focusing on them. But often, a lot of people fall into a rut and unhealthy habits, and you're no longer seeing the differences as strengths, but rather than deficits. And you have to remind yourself 
Um, just because a partner may lead with a different strength, like I mentioned, I have more zest and James might be more analytical thinking. In the beginning, I might have loved that and said, oh, my philosophical husband's helping me slowly think through these problems. How wonderful <laughs> and bright is he? Years into the relationship, when I'm trying to move fast and make a decision, he's being so persnickety. He's driving me crazy. Why is he purposely, you know, annoying me? So you could see how you could flip on from something that was different um, and a strength into a deficit. And if you continue doing that and forget to see your relationship through a lens of positivity, um, you know, that's not the best thing. So we have to remind ourselves of those strengths uh, that we fell in love with in the beginning. When you talk about skills that can be used to maintain the vitality and appreciation of the relationship. In the book, you talk about gratitude's role. Share a little bit more about that. Yeah, that's a great point. So gratitude is something that we are increasingly learning about, the importance of gratitude. It's also important not just to, not just to feel gratitude, but to express gratitude and to express it well. So research indicates that even more important or even more effective than telling our partner how what they have done has benefited us is telling our partner how much we appreciate them for being them. So you talk about the goodness, the character in your partner, and you express your gratitude that way. Just as important, of course, is how we receive gratitude. So that's why we like to talk about this as a gratitude dance. If one partner initiates a gratitude dance by expressing gratitude, but the other person deflects the gratitude, oh, no worries, it was nothing, or hot potatoes it back, oh, and I like you too because you did this and this and this, uh, or discounts, so oh, these are all the reasons why, what we, um, you know, why, you're, why you're thanking me, I, I didn't do such a great job after all. Those are ways that the, the relationship, the, the gratitude dance actually doesn't go so well. So initiating gratitude is important and responding to gratitude well is also important. Just starting by saying thank you. A deep, genuine thank you while looking your partner in the eye can go a long way. And then maybe, Susie, you want to say something about how we can take this even further from the standpoint of savoring. Sure. So accepting it and really um, paying attention to those moments and letting it, you know, let the thanks permeate um, through your body and maybe taking it a step further by asking questions. What was it about that specifically that resonated with you? How can I do more of that? And then you're engaging in a back-and-forth conversation, and you're increasing uh, the upward spiral of positivity. You're not just strengthening your, moment, your relationship in the moment, but you're also building psychological um, resources like emotional flexibility uh, that research has shown can help um, bonds over time. I love you use the word savoring because we often think of savoring solely for food, but you're saying that we take it to the relationship, that we savor those good moments when people are, are, are appreciating us and, and, and being able to receive it and say thanks and wanting to know more, to be curious, inquisitive, and to kind of um, chew on it for a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's right. So Let's most of us, experience a lot of very positive experiences over the course of the day, the week, the month, the year. But we tend to focus, you know, the last thing we think about before we go to bed is typically, what did I not get done today? Uh, or how come so-and-so said this to me, right? And so if we can intentionally focus our minds on the things that did go well, 
it's not escaping from reality. It's actually escaping to reality. These are the things that actually have happened in our lives, and by savoring them, it's kind of like turning up the volume on the good things in our lives. Well, it's kind of like wherever you focus your attention, you'll find yourself, right? So yeah. if you focus mm -hmm. and savor on those positive qualities of yourself and your relationship and the goodness that's happened in the day, you're more likely to become more elevated. That's exactly right. And the more you use moments of gratitude or other kinds of connections, as Susie mentioned, to engage in conversation with your significant other, the more you're likely to learn about what makes them tick, about what they appreciate, what works for them. And so it can also be an, an upward spiral. Because the more you marinate in that, the more you learn about it, the more expert you become in not just appreciating what has happened in the past, but in preparing and augmenting what is happening in the present and the future. It's like compounded interest. It, That's right. it helps yeah. you in the moment, and it builds a stronger future. Happiness squared. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> How about the golden rule? Is that really all you need to be happy together? Uh, we don't really believe in the golden rule. <laughs> Go ahead. My well, philosopher so, husband, of course, wants to jump in here. <laughs> we think the golden rule is helpful, and so we certainly teach it to our seven-year-old son, uh, and, but it also has its limitations. It's useful to, as an approximation to think, okay, well, what do other people like? I don't like it when people take my toys, so I shouldn't take other people's toys. But the problem can be that we can get to the point of assuming that what I'm like on the inside is exactly what Susie's like on the inside. Yeah. Therefore, I don't need to be curious and ask her what she really wants and so forth. But in, if instead of doing that, we actually look and, and have those conversations to understand each other better, we're not making some of the false assumptions that can happen with the golden rule. Because if we did unto others as we went uh, done to ourselves, we'd be sleeping with classical music every night. But my husband likes it very quiet, <laughs> and I, I like heavy music, and we'd be sleeping with the windows open. Well, that's what I like. Don't you like that? No, I like it quiet and dark and warm. Um, but so we we've introduced uh, another rule in our book that we feel um, is probably more connected to building a happier bond long-term. Yeah, so we all know the platinum rule, do unto others as they would be done unto, which also is helpful, and except our seven-year-old would like to play video games all day um, and eat cookies all day. So that doesn't always work. So we believe in the Aristotelian rule, which just in brief, is try to help each other become the best version of themselves that they can. And so we can use insights from the golden rule and the platinum rule, but this takes it to another level uh, of challenge and we think of effectiveness. That's really beautiful because it also brings in the service element that if we're helping the person that we love become the, the best version or better version of themselves, we're, we're working to uplift another person. And that in turn makes ourselves feel happier. That's exactly right. Exactly right. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guest today, Dr. Saida Desile and Dr. James Powelski and Susie Pileggi-Powelski wishing you kind thoughts kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new episode of Consciously Curated Talk Radio from the Heart. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are. 
with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on Toginet, iTunes, and SoundCloud. In a complicated world seemingly driven by nonstop negative news, Lisa's mission is to celebrate the upside of life and seek the silver lining of our challenges by transforming them into uplifting growth opportunities for all. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU, RadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.